been left at home, so we had to go get them. And then, like, the car was parked on Washington, except for the fact that we had some agreement with the retirement community that they were going to use our cars during the service. It was already gone, and so I couldn't go get it. And it was crazy. And then uh, Chip, who's doing the PowerPoint, was using transparencies instead of PowerPoint. And the worst part of the, of the timing was that church started early, which never happens. At, it was like 10-10, church started. And like I was, didn't know if I had enough time, so it was pretty scary uh, when all was said and done. But I actually do have my notes, and I'm pretty sure I'm looking at Chip. We do have PowerPoint. So I still like to think if those things happen, God might still show up. But uh, I feel better uh, just having things in front of me. Um, I'm going to talk today, I'll just say, I'm going to talk about friendships today and kind of where I'm at with what it means to have friends. And to start this off, I wanted to get thinking about, um, it was a survey I found in a book. So Chip, can you put this up here? Um, I was reading a book called The Ex-Offenders Reentry Success Guide, and I'll explain why I was reading this book in a moment, because that's like ex-convicts, people getting out of jail. Um, so are they ready to succeed in life? Are they ready to re-enter society? And they had uh, like 150 questions or something, and uh, there were like 10 or 15 on friends and relationships. So these are just four of them from the friends and relationships. Um, and you're supposed to score yourself one through five. And so five is a good score. Like you would answer, I tend to associate with people of good character, you'd score yourself a five. Um, so, and you can feel free to score yourself as I read these questions, although I assume most of you are probably not re-entering society. Either way, uh, you can do that. So I tend to associate with people of good character. I tend to associate with positive people and avoid those with negative thinking and bad language. I tend to run with winners rather than losers. I have many good friends, and, and the questions went on. And I was reading these questions, and, and so the reason I was reading this book uh, was because um, I actually I volunteer once a week, and I go into the county jail, and I just meet with a group of inmates. And so I was trying to kind of see what it feels like or what, you know, what their life is like, try to see what it's like uh, with things like this. And, and it really is... Um, it's good advice to like try the score fives, and I don't want to brag, but I had a pretty high score on the quiz, so I am ready to re-enter society whenever society is ready for me. Um, I, so, you know, I was at um, Target one time. I was going in the bathroom at Target, and I know every good story starts with I was going in the bathroom at Target. And um, I walk in there, and there are these two guys, uh, or this guy said, hey, it's Marcus from the jail, which there are a lot of people, and there's a busy day. Uh, <laughs> it's a little weird. And it was this guy, uh, Ryan, who I'd just seen that week in the jail. And then his friend Eric I'd also just seen that week. So first I'm thinking, it was kind of strange. Like I was used to seeing them in orange jumpsuits and here they were in normal clothes. And uh, so we got to talking, we went and we had ICs. It was a little bit of a problem because I didn't actually use the bathroom for another half hour, but um, eventually that worked out okay. Um, but I was talking to these guys and they were telling me, I think it was Eric's birthday, it was one of their two birthdays. And, um, they're saying they're trying to celebrate a clean and sober birthday. And they were saying, like, I was really proud of them for that. They're like, you know, we're going to have a clean and sober birthday, so we're, you know, here at the mall. And, you know, and they're saying, I was a little less thrilled. The way they were talking was like they were going to go hit on girls in the mall or something. So I had to tell them not to hit on my wife, even though she didn't know what she looked like. But the good thing about that was they had some people in their past that they were not calling that night. That, you know, they knew some people they could hang out with, but they would be people of, uh, negative thinking and bad language and bad character. And so they didn't want to pull themselves into this sort of um, start drinking again, start you know, not having a clean and sober birthday. So I, I was impressed with that. I was happy about that. And I think this, this advice really makes sense to me when I think about it in terms of like some, an, an inmate reentering society. It, it makes sense to associate with people of good character. Um, and so if you're, you know, 
an alcoholic would have trouble with people who are, get them to drink. That makes sense. You want to avoid those type of people. But the problem was, around the same time, actually the last few years, I've been, um, <laughs> I've been reading my Bible. It's, it's rare to say the problem was I was reading my Bible. But the Bible to me has kind of been messing me up the last few years. I, I can't say it in a better way than that. That I've been reading some of these passages, and like I start to wonder... Maybe I, should get, maybe I should be getting ones on these. Maybe I should be getting low scores, tend to associate with people not of good character. I start looking at the life of Jesus and some of the things he said, and I just start, it, it, it keeps bothering me. So the sermon today, just to warn you, it, it's things that bother me, in a sense, um, about friendships and about things that Jesus said about people in our lives. So we're going to read a passage from Luke 14, um, so you can open your Bibles or whatever if you have one, or just read it on here. And... Um, I'm going to assume you're like me and have a short attention span, so we're only going to look at a couple verses. And uh, it starts out, some of this dot, dot, dot there, I'll explain a little bit what's happening. But in Luke 14, Jesus, it says, one Sabbath when when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And we're not going to talk as much about the carefully watching part, but he goes to this house of a Pharisee and he's going to have a dinner there. And that's the context for what's important for what I will present. Uh, the next part, what I'm not going to read, is that he heals a man with abnormal swelling. And then there's this, so it's kind of this healing on a Sabbath. He kind of gets in trouble for that. You know, touching someone with abnormal swelling, kind of weird to begin with. And then the part that he gives a little lesson to the dinner guests about humility, saying you should take the low seat, not the high seat. And then we get to this passage that, to me, for years has been a blink and you miss it type of passage. Um, go ahead and, and go to the next slide, Chip. Uh, it's one of those passages I, I, I read over, and I think I read over because I don't, I don't like it. Um, and just, I, I read it quickly or try to get a little bit out of it and then just move on. Um, and it's a short one, too. So um, it's always nice. I, I teach at IU. It's nice when you have short reading assignments because students will actually read them. So hopefully you can actually read this one slide. Um, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, so uh, we're, we're going to get into this a little bit. I just kind of want to start off saying that there's a lot going on here. In fact, in the next part of the passage, uh, well, you can tell I have a scattered brain. I kind of go back and forth between thoughts. Jesus mentions like the lame and blind here. And I was reading a couple different Bibles. It talks about the lame and the blind weren't allowed in the temples. So there's kind of this religious meaning here too. And then like in the next part, it even becomes clear that Jesus tells this little parable about opening up, in my phrasing, opening up the kingdom of God to the non-Jews. Uh, so he tells a parable in the, in the form of a dinner and talking about inviting more people to the dinner who had previously not been invited. And um, so there's a lot of different meanings here, and there's a lot of stuff about humility surrounding it. So I'll tell you just kind of the perspective I'm coming from here today, um, is that I think when Jesus says, uh, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to a banquet or to a party, I think what he might, he might actually mean is to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to a party or to a banquet or something along those lines. By which I mean, I think there is a, an abstract meaning here about like selfishness, selflessness, a lot of different things, humility. But I think there's a concrete meaning here too, and one that kind of makes me scared. This is why I read over the passage. Um, I want to focus today on this concrete meaning Jesus has of opening up our lives to others, open up our lives to, I would say, in some sense, the disadvantaged. I mean, the lame, the blind, the, the crippled, the poor. In, in this part of the, the past, so that just tells you my perspective, at least. And kind of, I'm going to get into, it's a little difficult when I say 
you might be like me. Um, I was uh, talking to April Nipstein before the service, and the women's softball team, she played left field a couple weeks ago, and the, the ball was hit to her, and you would hear from the stands this little, uh-oh, because um, she wasn't really wanting to catch the ball, apparently. And that's kind of how I feel with this. I, have this. I tense up a little when I read this, like, uh, and you may be tense right now, I don't know. Um, I'm not really reading body language at the moment, trying not to. Uh, it, it's kind of like I, I freeze up a bit when I think about maybe I'm supposed to... Uh, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, whatever that means exactly. Like, uh, what am I supposed to do with this? Um, and I think, uh, so I'm going to talk more about what do we, the whole sermon is basically what do we do with that? Like, where do we start? How do we go with that? But um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the, the categories, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I, I think one thing is not to restrict it to just those four categories. When we talk about kind of inviting people into our lives or expanding our lives out, I don't think it's just those four categories because... I mean, I think those are four important categories. But the Bible talks about, you know, um, helping widows and orphans. Jesus touched lepers. He went out to a Samaritan woman who was kind of uh, sort of taboo to talk to that woman. He ate dinner with sinners and tax collectors. He told a parable about a beat-up guy on the side of the road. In Hebrews, it talks about remembering those in prison as if you were in prison yourself. There's a lot of different things in the Bible that I would classify just say, uh, classify this category as, in some sense, losers which I hate using that term. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But it's a sort of, um, I don't think it's important to draw a line as to who they are so much as a, it's a, these people who are disadvantaged, outcasts, misfits, um, to welcome them in. And the point, so Chip, can you go to the point? The point that I want to make today, or the thing I'm going to argue, is that you need more losers in your life. And, I should, and, and you should trust me here, because I don't think you believe, you probably won't believe me. I didn't believe it a couple years ago. Even now, I'm not sure at times. It's an exciting point. It's actually kind of an awesome point to say, hey, I need more, like, I need more losers in my life. It's a weird point. I don't really understand what Jesus is saying right away, but like, I get into it, and it's like, this is pretty, like, I like this. I like doing this. Um, so we'll talk about that. Um, but I want to say, like I said, it, I really, when I say loser, I want to be careful about the term I'm using because a loser is sort of offensive. Um, not just sort of, I think it is offensive. Um, it, it really, I mean, a better term would be misfit or outcast or disadvantaged or disenfranchised or people on the fringe or something along those lines. It's something that society deems a loser. That's how I'm going to use the term today. But the reason I'm going to use it is that it, is, it, it hurts me a little bit to use it. Like, it kind of when I hear it, I think to myself, that's how I've been treating those people. Like, regardless of whether I think they're a loser or not, that's how I've been treating them so often in my life. And so if I, you know, it, it, I wor part of, I was telling my wife that I'm worried a little bit in this sermon that I will offend somebody. I'm also kind of worried that I won't offend somebody. Like, it, so it's kind of, I kind of had this tension in my mind of kind of, it, it should hurt a little bit. And I, in some sense, I hope it does. In some sense, it doesn't. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I just ramble at times, so kind of go with it. But if I, if I, uh, in my mind, I, I was trying to think of like modern day, you know, quote, losers, you know, people with Down syndrome or foster kids, the elderly sometimes, people on Section 8 housing. Like, I think about these types of categories, and I think it, it, it does sound offensive to me. Like, when I say that term, uh, it does offend me. So I want to be clear that I'm using the term because I want, it just to, want us to think about how we think about people and think about other people, and I need to hear it that way. I know that's, that's why I'm using it, so I hear myself say it. Um, but I do want to be clear that in the kingdom of God, the term loser doesn't really make sense. So, um, and that hopefully is also a point you get from this sermon, is that we're all kind of, you know, God doesn't love anyone more or less than he loves you. Um, and so it's all kind of this, God loves everybody. I've, I've said that before. I believe that. And I think, you know, it's true. 
So loser doesn't really make sense, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and forge ahead with it. You probably shouldn't do things like that where you don't mean it and you're going to say it anyway, but uh, we'll just break all the rules today. Um, so the part of what I was saying earlier is that when I, when I was reading my Bible and I was reading this passage, Chip, can you go back to the passage? Um, I was reading this passage, and, and like I, I, I tensed up a bit, um, reading about inviting the, the, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And I've been reading this passage and other passages. I, I do distinctly remember reading Hebrews 13, where he t- I think it's 13. He talks about remembering those in prison as if you were, yourself were in prison. I remember thinking, I don't know anyone in prison. I don't, like, how can I know what it's like? Remember them as if I were in there. I have no idea what it's like. I remember reading passages about, about the poor and thinking, I have no idea what that is like. Like I just, I started to see this, this is the part where the Bible messes you up a bit. I started to see this as a problem. Like before I could, you know, recognize that fact, but now I started to say this is actually something that that doesn't resonate well with me anymore. And then I started to think about, well, then I get a little bit scared and I start thinking, well, what do I do about it? How do I get going at all? What, if I, if if the the point is to have this concrete meaning of that we need more losers in our life, that Jesus is saying something about inviting these people into our lives, how do we begin to make that concrete? (laughs) And I think, uh, Chip, go ahead and go to the outline. So, so um, I only have a, a few points to make today, and it really is mostly about just, just moving forward, like moving, like taking a step forward. It is mostly about just how do we start thinking about this, of, of letting losers into our lives, getting into losers' lives. Um, it, it still it does sound funny and offensive when I say I, I don't know. I, I can't. I'm just hearing it afresh. I don't know. And I think, um, so there's three main points I'm going to make today. It's kind of where do we start with this? Um, what is it exactly we're signing up for in, in terms of, uh, yeah, I don't know, in terms, in terms of like how it feels or, or God's, God's role in that, our role in that. And then it's actually kind of uh, one point, what we give and what we get. So kind of uh, when we're involved in this, what are we giving up? What are we getting from it? Um, not to sell it or anything. It's just kind of like uh, trying to balance those concerns, figure out what it is that uh, is happening. So for me, the, the, the starting point is actually a key point. For me, kind of, I, I've, I could go on and on about kind of um, my own opinions about society's problems today, but I think one illness in our society is that there is sort of separation between people. So um, middle class, lower class, there's, there tends to be sort of a separation. It's not, not completely, um, but there is sort of, we kind of group ourselves in certain categories and then we have these separations. And I thought, well, that's, that's at least me theorizing about what it's like. You know, I think that's the way it is. And I thought, well, I'm going to put this to the test a little bit and see for myself how much have I separated myself from the rest of society. So um, I went on Facebook, which is always the first thing to do when you have a question. And um, I'm also a bit of a, I mean, I mentioned I teach at IU, so I have to warn you I'm a bit nerdy or whatever. And my wife is a statistician, and I'm a computational linguist. So we like to work with data. I think actually there's statistics department has a t-shirt that says, without data, you're just another person with an opinion. So it's kind of this idea of, I, I need some, you know, something to base my opinions on. Um, so I started, I downloaded a list of my friends on Facebook. So this included a number of you in this room. Although if we became friends after June 30th, I'm sorry, you're not, you didn't make this study, uh, just because that's when I did this. Um, so I downloaded a list of my friends and I started categorizing them. And I started putting them like, you know, what's their religion? What's, as far as I know, what's their income status? Um, what's their education level? A variety of different types of questions. I had like 10 questions. I'm only going to give you a few uh, results, so to speak, uh, today. 
Um, and it was really interesting, just before I even show you some of the results, like with religion, for example, um, I think like 75% of my friends are Christian, somewhere around there, I didn't actually write down the number, but 21% of my friends have a religion of I don't know, meaning I don't know what the religion is exactly. It might be kind of lackadaisical, it might be, I'm just not quite sure. So it, it told me something about like, I, it's one thing to be friends with someone, especially Facebook friends. It's another thing to be involved in their lives. So uh, let's go to my results for my Facebook friend analysis. And this is, so if you want to ask details later, like I mentioned, I'm a bit nerdy. I'm happy to give you all the details and how these numbers were calculated. So it is a biased sample, to use a statistician's term, because it's only friends who are on Facebook. It does not include my friends who are not on Facebook. Um, okay, so I, I analyzed this and I thought, well, is, is this a problem for me? Do I have friends? Like, if I were to think about, and, and it, when I say, like, if I were to tell you, you know, in your task this week is to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind to a dinner, like, we would all freak out. I would freak out. Um, so I'm not going to say that's the task this week. But I was thinking, is that even feasible for me to even do? Like, am I inviting people I know or am I inviting people who just on the street or something? Um, and it's, it's a different task. So um, we... I looked at the, first in terms of economic status, 97.2% of my friends are middle or upper class, and 27 are lower class. I assume there's a rounding issue, because it doesn't add up to 100%. Either that or I typed down a number wrong, but give me 0.1% error. Um, so the thing that surprised me most about this was the fact that I had so many upper class friends, actually. I didn't break it down here, but I think I had like maybe 15% upper class, like, which I categorized as 100, I think $100,000 or more or something like that. And like, on the one hand, I'm like, oh, I must have, I'm succeeding in, in society. On the other hand, I felt awful about this. And this is after, in fact, my wife and I have made a concerted effort the last two and a half years, I think, to be involved. We're involved in a program in Bloomington called uh, Circles, where we uh, partner up with someone in poverty and try to help them get out of poverty. And this is two years after we've been involved in that program. So the numbers before we were involved in this program would have been staggeringly low, um, at least in my opinion. You know, for me, that, that it still hurts to kind of see that, like, you know, less than 3% of my friends are lower, my Facebook friends are lower class. Then it started to get a little worse. I looked at the handicap numbers, and 99.6 of my friends are not handicapped on Facebook. 0.4% maybe. I'm not entirely sure. Like, there's, like, it was sort of, a, I think one of them might have a mental handicap, and I'm not entirely positive. Um, so, at most, 0.4%. This is, I had to estimate things. So, um, 99.6 of my friends have no felony, 0.4% have a felony. This one, I do volunteer in the jail, so it's a little bit, there, there's an, this is where the bias comes into play because a lot of my friends are not on Facebook that I meet in the jail. Um, so that uh, only 0.4% have, at least that I know of, I don't know. So you can, uh, if you want to tell me afterwards that I should bump that number up, uh, we can do so in confidence. Um, no one else has to know. Um, and then, just as a side point, 2.5% of my friends I need to defriend. I haven't had the guts to do it yet. I didn't know them well enough to actually fill out the information. I thought that's kind of a sign that I should probably defriend them. Um, so, you know, it's a useful exercise. It was actually, actually kind of surprising how quickly it, it went. I had, like, I think 480 friends or so to categorize, and I did it in, you know, an hour or so, just because I put the default answers in of middle class, white, uh, non-handicapped, no felony, and I didn't have to change much. So kind of scary to me, actually, that way. And, and so for me, kind of, th this is getting that kind of the starting point for a lot of us. It's just if we don't know these people, we don't know where to start. And so kind of I think about just taking a step forward to, to get to know people who fit in some of these categories. I'll tell you, for me personally, we have a neighbor who's uh, blind, and we know her a little bit. She, I mean, literally a neighbor, literally blind next to us. So I start reading this passage, and I start thinking, we should probably have over, over for dinner. Like, there's someone we... Like, it, it, and it's kind of this obvious thing, but, like, it 
has taken me years to think of this obvious thing. Um, and I'll, I'll just encourage you, for, uh, the one thing I want to encourage you, because it is sort of an intimidating type of passage, and, and Jesus says a lot of things that to me are intimidating. I encourage you to start small and start somewhere, but I would say start with one. You know, think of, like, it doesn't have to be like an organization, like a friend or a family member, or like Dan mentioned the Genesis house early, earlier. That's a good opportunity. Just go, even just sit and watch, sit and kind of observe what happens in, in this homeless shelter. It's just a good starting point to say, okay, I'm just going to take one little step. Um, for me, that's been, that's kind of how I work, like, in terms of, I break things, I write lists of everything, so I just kind of say, okay, step one today is to do this, step two, step one, pray about it, and I always kind of add that in so I don't have to do anything other than pray right away, and then kind of, okay, step two, think about it more, and then, you know, but these little steps are important, because when I start praying, God does actually start putting it on my heart even more. Um, so I want to encourage you, Jesus is always about moving forward, so the, the, the goal is not necessarily to leave here and have a big banquet this week for the poor. That would be awesome if you did, but that's not my goal. My goal is to, to encourage all of us to move forward, to just take another step towards this. Okay, the next point I wanted to make is, is what we're signing up for. And I couldn't think of the best way to say My first draft said the pain was going to be this uh, section. I thought, well, that doesn't sound so good. Um, but what we're signing, and it really is, what we're signing up for, what is this type of thing? If we're going to have losers in our lives, what is it that we're kind of signing up for? Because for me, it is sort of a painful thing sometimes. I, I mentioned we're involved in the Circles program, and we've been involved with a couple different people. And I, and I don't know um, if you've ever, ever had to sit down with someone and go through their budget and like talk about how they're going to make rent this month when it's not really clear there's the income there. It's painful. Like, for, at least for me, it was very painful to do that. But the world, it's kind of this, the world is a mess. And if I'm going to invite losers in my life, I'm going to see more of that mess. And for me, it's kind of just a big, not turning my head type of issue of, of can I even just look at it? Um, I did a, uh, with the circles thing, I did a poverty simulation the other day where you kind of, um, you have a little role to play. I was a 21-year-old Hispanic kid uh, whose dad was in jail. And so I had two 13-year-old sisters, one of which was a, an elderly Hungarian woman, which, if that makes any sense. And um, so we were doing the simulation, and, and I remember I sat down, because I'm kind of this analytical type person. I sat down, and I, I looked at, they give us a little sheet of what our income is and what, our, what we have to spend money on this month. And um, I looked at my 13-year-old sisters and said, uh, we're not going to make it this month. Like, I, I, just adding up the numbers, we're not going to make it. And, the thing about it, like, I felt pain. Like, I hated that experience in some, I loved the experience in some sense, and I hated it in some sense, because it was like, it did not, like, it doesn't feel good to see pain in the world. It doesn't feel good to see suffering, to see messes. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. I mean, like, that God didn't intend it that way. And it's easy to ignore, and kind of, you know, I'm not necessarily struggling with my own rent. And some of you probably are, and that, that you know the experience firsthand. Um, but it's easy for me to say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm doing okay, so fine. Things are fine. But to, to take on, to look at someone else's problems, it, it really hurts. It, it, it does, and I can't like sugarcoat that any, except uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat the fact that it hurts and that there's pain. But the good thing out of it is that I've realized so much how much I need God and I need Jesus in my life. I start getting into some of these issues and I see these messes that were bigger than I thought they were. Um, and I just start saying, I, I can't do anything here without God. And it's, I, I can't just, I mean, there's a lot of other issues about like, this has also helped me with compassion in general and so forth. But that's one of the biggest things I've learned when I realize what I'm signing up for is I'm signing up for something where it's not my role to be a savior. It's my role to just be a conduit of God. And it's my role to just kind of say, okay, God, where do you want me? I'll step in there. I'll try not to look away. And then you do the work. 
It's kind of one example I think of a lot, and many of you have heard this because I, I put it in one of the devotionals we had back in Lent. I was in the jail one time, and a couple guys nearly got into a fight, um, which wasn't very good, uh, obviously. And there were like some racial slurs being thrown around, and I'm sitting there, and I was supposed to be in charge of a discussion group. It's not good when it breaks into this sort of thing. And I don't like have a bucket list that says experience a jail fight on it. Like I was not happy about the way things were going. And it didn't get that far. Um, but I remember leaving. I was really shaken up when I left. And um, I couldn't even really think about it clearly for a couple days. And then I remember thinking, you know, I couldn't solve the problem there. There were rampant problems. And that's like, I think that's what God wanted me to experience. I was shaken because I couldn't solve it. I couldn't control it. Um, and that's a good lesson. And the great lesson is God's got my back. Like, it's like, it's not about me. It's not about me solving the world's problems. It's about me going where God wants me to be. And I recognize that more having, quote, losers in my life. I, I didn't plan on using the, the scare quotes with my fingers every time, but I can't help it now that I'm so conscious of the word loser. Um, so that's, for me, the, what we're signing up for is we're signing up to be a part of God's kingdom. We're signing up to just do what God wants us to do. And, and I see that more clearly when I have uh, more other people in my life. So I, if we have some idea of we're moving forward a little bit, we're starting, just kind of getting going, we know God's got our back, uh, whatever that looks like exactly, and then get into kind of what do, we have, what do we give and what do we get out of it? Because one of the first things I think of is if I'm signing up for something, what's in it for me? And I think one of the bad things about having losers in your life is the answer is not much on the, on the surface of things. The answer is really not much. I mean, I think about working with these guys in jail who need love, education, they need a job when they get out, they need reformation in some way, they need new ways of looking at life, they need, kind of, a lot of them have to deal with addictions, so they need help with addictions. You know, what are they giving back to me? I mean, unless I want drugs or protection or something like, or a bad reputation, I'm not really sure, like there's no tangible thing um, that I can see. I, I've not asked them for drugs, just the, I've learned a lot more than I wanted to, but um, the, I, I try to think to myself, well, what's the kind of give and take here? Because it seems like I'm given more than I'm getting. Like it's sort of this idea. And it's even, I think about even basic things. Like I have a friend who is slightly mentally unstable. Um, he's one of my best friends. Uh, that probably tells us something about me too. Uh, and, but when I hang out with him, I know I'm making a choice not to hang out with other friends because they don't want to be around him. So it is the sort of cost of like, it costs me something to do this. It costs me something to hang out with losers. And I know that. I have to kind of deal with that. But the, the other side of it is, I think I get more than I give. I mean, maybe it equals out, but I think I really, my experiences have been such that I, I wouldn't trade them, and I wouldn't, I, I'm, I feel like I, I receive more. I, I mentioned the, the beginning, um, the story about being in the bathroom at Target. Uh, I mean, it's the single best public restroom experience I've probably ever had, but that's not, it's a low bar. Um, and... Uh, Part of the reason it was so, it was joyful. I would use the word joy. Like I was on cloud nine the rest of the day. I had ices with a couple guys who were trying to turn their lives around. And like, I think what, the reason it was so joyful, and I don't experience that too much, is that like it, it's, I got to see a little bit of redemption at work. Like just a, just a, a taste of it. And like, it was amazing. And I wanted more of that. And like, that's, I feel like if that's what I'm getting in return, then like uh, this other stuff about, you know, they can't offer me anything materially or whatever it just kind of, it, it falls to the wayside. I mean, it does, Jesus in this passage, um, he's, he's talking about bringing the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to a banquet. I mean, it's a party. It, it's a thing where it's, it's, you know, he says, um, and he says, you will be blessed. Uh, and this, this is kind of how I think 
we're being blessed. We get to see more of the kingdom in action. We get to see this joy. And the biggest thing I think we get to see is unconditional love. And that's the biggest thing. I, I should have mentioned, I actually had a note here. I, I kind of follow my notes and sometimes I don't. Whenever I, I preach, which isn't uh, too often, maybe for obvious reasons, is that I view it as kind of like just telling you where I'm at in my life and my faith. And like, so, so part, of, um, part of today is just saying like, I should have said this 10 minutes ago, but um, that's where I'm at in my life right now. I don't say things when I'm supposed to. Uh, what I've experienced the most is unconditional love, both in terms of receiving and in terms of giving, which kind of shocked me. Um, like I think about, uh, I think about the, the story of the prodigal son. So in the, in the next, this is Luke 14 that this passage comes from um, that we're roughly talking about. And um, in the next chapter of Luke, Jesus tells the story of, he tells various lost parables, lost coin, um, I forget the other one right now, and then the lost son, lost sheep, thank you, that was it, yes. Uh, and then the lost son, and I love the story of the prodigal son or the lost son, because it's kind of this one of like, God welcomes us unconditionally with open arms. Whether we've fallen astray, whatever, he welcomes us back with, with unconditional love. And I always love thinking about receiving that love, and I rarely think, oh, I could be given that love too. I could be giving unconditionally, because it is a difficult thing to do, but it's, it's one of those things I, I didn't really put two and two together until, I don't know, maybe the last week or so, that um, that's what I've been experiencing, is both sides of that. Like, I think about um, when I was in the jail one time, I use a lot of the jail stories just because it's kind of the most clear-cut in some ways. Um, I, I, I never ask the guys what they're in for. But I remember hearing that at one point a lot of my supervisor was telling me a lot of them were in for domestic violence. And I think that's horrible. Like I, that's another thing I don't want to look at. Like that's painful for me to think about is domestic violence. Like if I'm trying to interact with and show love to a guy here who may have beaten his wife a couple weeks ago or whatever, that hurts. It, really, it does hurt. But I think if I'm going to learn what unconditional love is, I need to be in those types of situations where it's actually difficult. Because if I think about like, you know, loving my wife or whatever, it's, uh, it's easy. I mean, she hit a home run in softball the other night. That's easy to uh, uh, love someone who does that and loves me back. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You know, if we invite certain people, if we invite certain people into our lives, it's easy to love them back. They'll repay us in some ways. Not, not that hitting a home run repays me, except I was pretty excited. Also, I think, Laura, you hit a home run too. Am I not mistaken? So we had some good hitters that night. But um, beside the point, um, having a... Having to love these guys, it was a hard thing for me to think about this. If I have to figure out, not condoning the action, I mean, I can't do that. It, it's loving this person in spite of that. And I'm trying, trying to think, you know, how does God deal with me in, in the sins that I have, and I'm dealing with this guy and the sins he has? It, it's, it gives me, I, I don't know if I have like a super profound point because I'm still wrestling with that myself as to what that means. But I think I'm on to something. I, I want to keep going down this path to find out more about unconditional love. It just reminds me of kind of, we, we had a pastor years ago who liked to say that the definition of a friend was someone who's coming in when everyone else is going out. And I like to think about that about God. And like, I want to try to model that too in my life of everyone else is going out. And I want to, with God, I, I mean, I have to call on God. If I'm going to give unconditionally, I have to be getting that unconditional love from God. I mean, I, I recognize I need Jesus in my life or it's not going to work. Um, I'm pretty sure I started a sentence two minutes ago that I don't know how I'm going to finish now because I don't remember the beginning. But the un it's recognizing the unconditional love in my life. That's what I want to move towards. I want to keep... And, and having losers in my life, so to speak, 
pushes me in that direction. So that's, um, that's essentially, those are the main points I want to talk about. And, and, and I don't know if you, if the examples may or may not resonate with you, I don't know. It, I always think about kind of, I always think about different kinds of people in my life, you know, family, friends. I, there are a lot of people I know at one time or another I've categorized as losers. But I was thinking, about, I was talking to my wife about uh, this topic, and she said, you know, well, Jesus said to do it, and we should trust him. And I was like, dang, you know, she should be preaching because uh, she's got that uh, fire. Uh, there, there's a lot of reasons. For me, this has been a hugely beneficial thing. Like, this has changed the way, I don't know if it changed the way I think about evangelism so much as I try to do it, about justice, about even, like, how I treat my students. Like, I, I start to see more about this, uh, this unconditional love. I can't escape it. Like, it, it sort of, it keeps coming back to me. And so uh, the, the last thing I want to end with is, is, is a bit of a challenge. And again, it's for myself. I mentioned this, these, these low handicap numbers in my Facebook friends continue to eat away at me. And it keeps kind of like, I, I, I can't get past it. But, but the challenge I want to issue is kind of, so I started taking one step forward. It's sort of a radical thought to think about friendship as we think about tithing. Um, in the sense of, not like in the sense of 10%, but in the sense of setting aside some friendships for people we don't want to be friends with necessarily. Setting aside friendships for these categories of people we don't have friendships with. And like, like this intentionally doing that. So I don't know exactly what that means, but that, that's kind of, I want to challenge us to think of it more that way. God, Jesus tells us to invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind to our banquets. And I want to start thinking about, am I intentionally inviting people into my life who I wouldn't otherwise interact with? So it's, it's something that, um, for myself, I, I continue to pray about. And uh, yeah, I encourage you to do the same. And one, uh, one of the nice things um, we do every week at Exodus, so I'll just go right into communion. Um, one of the nice things we do at Exodus every week is communion. This offering that Jesus gives to us of his salvation of, you know, he died on the cross for us. And, and I love the fact about, our, our pastor Matt has talked before about, you know, who's communion for at Exodus. We have an open communion. It's, it's for anybody. And the thing is, we just, it's kind of for people who just want to take one more step with Jesus, or sometimes, as Matt says, who want to want to take a step forward. This idea of kind of, I don't know where you're at. I mean, everything I may have said may have just um, fallen on, like, you may have just not been able to, I don't know, not understand it's not where you're at. That's fine. Communion is for everybody. It's, it's for anyone who wants to just move forward with Jesus um, to a little bit more. So um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, the communion servers will come forward. The way we, we do communion at Exodus is um, chaotic, I guess. So we just have people with the bread and the juice in these three different parts. If you want to, you come forward. You just tear off a piece of the bread. You dip it in the cup. You can eat it there. You can take it back to your seat, whatever. It's pretty loosey-goosey, kind of just... Um, it's, it's something between you and God. So let me pray. God, I thank you so much for uh, your creation. I thank you for the people you have created, and I thank you uh, that we have an opportunity to serve you uh, every day. And I pray that um, we would all, in our daily walk, move forward with Christ, move forward with you, um, one step at a time. In Christ's name, amen. If there is uh, anyone in here who maybe just feels like this morning they just need someone to pray with them, uh, if there's something going on in your life and you just need someone to, to sit down and talk with and pray, um, our prayer team will be in that room under the sign that says prayer. 
we would love for you, um, if that's where you're at this morning, to take advantage of that. So um, think about that as we come and, and take the Lord's Supper together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power. And thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt.